Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all that you're going to say and you're going to do. And uh, we're so thankful that you have visited us this week. We, we never counted a light thing that you show up in all your glory and all your compassion, all your love, all your mercy, all your strength. And we're just so thankful for you, Father. Talk about fathers, you're the top and we love you dearly. More importantly, you love us dearly. We've learned that repeatedly this week, I think in every service, and this one included. And you just love us so much you want us to be free. You want us to walk in the freedom that you provided through your blood through your precious blood. And so we take that by faith and we apply the blood to all of us tonight once again. And it's good that we do that every day, beloved. And just make much about the blood and the blood will make much about you, the blood of Jesus. So we thank you for this service. I ask you to anoint me. I ask you to help me. I ask for you to speak through my lips, touch through my hands, and be a vessel of honor to you, Father, and to the the body of Christ, help them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You could sit down for a little bit anyway. I don't know exactly. I got a big clock back there. I know that. That's a good thing. Now, <clears throat> see how I'm going to put this together here tonight. Don't get alarmed when I pull out all these papers because I don't have enough time to teach all this. Not in one service. I'm just being real. And, uh, but what I thought I would do maybe to start us today, tonight, is talk a little bit about some of the things that I went through when I wasn't saved. Now, I'm not going to drag you through all the negativity and all the craziness that I lived through, because that wouldn't edify you. And if you haven't been there, stay out of that realm. And if you have been there, you know what I'm talking about, because there's probably some level of that in your life. So I wanted to just start by talking a little bit. Let's go to the book of Revelation. I normally never start something like this from that viewpoint, but I felt I needed to. And I'm going to just talk to you a minute, and then we're going to read a scripture. And I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to tell some things about what I was doing before I got saved and things. And then I'll take you into how I got saved and things like that. I think that's important to talk to you about that. And uh, I... I had been a drug addict, full-blown drug addict for three years, and um, we, some of us, there were 13 of us, we lived in a farmhouse outside of Fairborn, Ohio, we had a lot of weaponry there, a lot of guns and stuff, extra boards on our, inside of our doors in case anybody ever came, and of course they did come one time, I wasn't there when it happened, thank God there were bikers, and they beat an ex-biker up that was living with us at the time, he was a good friend of mine, I wasn't there, but I mean they didn't kill him, but they, they you know, hurt him. They're not, they're not playing with things with bikers or not. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying. And so, uh, anyway, I was living that lifestyle. And there was, there was 13 of us and six of us decided to go to California to get some new drug connections because it's always good to have new people when you're not doing right, right. that you could sell drugs to or buy drugs from. But, you know, it just went haywire. I mean, I've been, been a drug addict for three years. But then when you, you just start out as kind of... Uh, Mm, enticing and just like Jordan was saying you get into one thing then you can't stop that's what I did I mean I'm going to have to blow my nose I'm sorry about that uh, but 
I'm just going to try to be as real as I can, but I'm not going to preach for four hours. Okay? But I do need to say some things that need me to, I need to say it. And you need to realize how goofy I was and how I had become. So we were out there and we spent all of our money and we bought a lot of dope and shot a lot of dope and borrowed a fit from the guy across the hall. That's the needle you stick in your arm. And, uh, and I, we were all going in the bathroom to hit up, to shoot up. And there was five of us, I think, or six. I think there was five. I think I said six a minute ago. I think it was five of us. And I was the last one to go in there. Now, before that happened, that was in October of 1971. And in July, the same year, I, I, my, somebody asked me that recently in a store. He was talking. I was giving my testimony. And he said, what's your drug of uh, whatever you call it, of favor? And I said, methadrine speed. And, uh, man, I got addicted on that. And that just, I, I drove me. I was a drug addict. I tried heroin once and I didn't like it. And so I stayed away from that. But everything else I tried four, five, 10, 15 times, you know, because you're just not right. And I remember when I first started smoking dope, I said, well, I'm not going to do anything beyond that. Right. And then I'm, then I'm, you know, smoking weed and grass and hash and all the other things that you can smoke. And then all of a sudden I said, well, I'm not going to do any hard drugs or barbiturates and stuff. And then I started taking barbiturates and I couldn't stop it. It made me meaner. I'd never been a mean person like I was then. And, uh, and I didn't like being mean, but I liked the drugs. And then I just accelerated. Are you following me so far? Okay, but in that summer of 71 in July, I, I went on a, what they call just a, a drug spree kind of for 21 days. And I'd been shooting dope off and on those 21 days, not every day, but most of those days, and taking other hard drugs while I was doing that. And I went upstairs one night and laid down on the floor. I had a bed. I didn't have a bed. I had a, a mattress. I laid on the floor, and all of a sudden, I felt very strange. And I went to find my pulse, which was normally right there. It comes through pretty clearly or in my wrist, and I couldn't find a pulse. And I thought, that's strange. I know I'm thinking this, but I'm laying here, and I'm touching my own body, and I don't have a pulse. So I said, somebody, go get Gary for me. He was my closest friend in the drug group. He came up. He tried to find my pulse. I could tell by his look on his face, he's freaking out. And he said, I'll be back in a minute. I said, please don't go. Please don't leave me right now. And he just ran away. <laughs> and the only thing I could figure out later is he thought, I'm either dying or going to die, and then he's going to have to figure out what to do with my body because he's not going to call the morgue and have him come out there fooling around our property because right. then we're all going to go to prison yes. or get shot in the process or whatever. We were ready. I'm just saying, I'm, just, I'm not trying to brag about any of this. This is all darkness. I can tell you some things that make you cringe. But I'm just saying that was me back then. So Gary left, and I, he didn't come back for a long time. I was getting really concerned. And so uh, he finally came back and said, come on. Uh, he called me my nickname. Come on, I'm going to take you somewhere. I didn't know where he's going to take me. I figured if I died and he didn't, he didn't want my body laying there and call the police or the morgue, you know, they're going to, they're going to pry into that. So he's, he's either going to throw me in a ditch or whatever. I wasn't sure. And he put me in the truck and drove me to his parents' house. What a weird feeling. I'm a size of kite. In fact, I'm already, you know, I'm starting to really dissipate. I don't know how to tell you that any simpler. And they were Christians, his mom and dad. They didn't say much to me. I didn't talk at all to them. And we stayed there a couple of hours, and he drove me back to the farm. And so <laughs> I was still alive, of course. And he took me upstairs, helped me get upstairs, and I laid on the floor. I, mean, I never forget, it was like 10 to 3 in the middle of the night. And I laid there and I saw my spirit come out of my body. You know, I did not put all this together 
when I was younger, I didn't get it. I just realized later I was a prophet and God has given me a lot of visions. I'm going to tell you of another vision in a minute. That in the vision, this part is the vision. My spirit came out of my mouth. It just drifted up to the ceiling. And I just knew by the spirit, I didn't know God then. I'd been in church a lot, but I didn't know him. He put his hand out as my spirit went up to the ceiling. He pushed it back into me, went through my mouth and just filled up my carcass, filled up my flesh. And then I was back in my body. I was out of my body for a minute. I've been out of my body a lot of times. Not, not from the devil, but just angels and different things that I've had. I'm just talking about things, okay? I, I want to make it, you see what I'm saying, what was happening. And so I looked at my watch. It was 10 till 3. I thought, man, I, I was going somewhere. Where was I going? And I just stopped at the ceiling, and he just pushed my spirit back in my body. Three years or four years after I got saved, the Lord said, do you remember that night in the farmhouse? I said, I sure do. How could I not remember it? He said, you knew it was me, didn't you? And I said, I sure did. And he said, the only reason I did that, I saved you so you could preach. Wow. I wasn't a preacher yet, but he, it's what he told me. So anyway, and then I'm going to go into my other story because this is irrelevant to what I'm going to tell you later. So while I'm back in California now and we're taking turns going in the bathroom shooting up. I had another nightmare about that being in the room. I didn't know I was in California. And it was infested with cockroaches. It was, I was in a dingy mm, tenement house, like you see in a bad movie when guys walk down the hall and kick the door open to shoot everybody. I didn't see that. And we didn't hear that much gunfire right there at the time. But it was a funky place to be, really nasty. And that morning I woke up, I counted the cockroach bites on my legs. I had 55 cockroach right, roach bites on you know, combined on both the legs. So you can tell I'm not prospering. I'm not doing much of anything that's right. And I go in the bathroom to shoot up. I tie myself. I take my, uh, you know, dope in the spoon and put the needle and get it. And then I hit it and took off my thing. And there went a cockroach up the wall. And I thought, I've been here before somehow. I don't like this. And I'm not saying much. I'm just thinking that. And the... I'm not using the potty, but I'm sitting on it because that's the only place to sit in a little funky bathroom. It is so tiny, you just wouldn't believe people could go to the bathroom and take a shower in there. I just... Anyway, and all of a sudden, the, curtain, the shower curtain disappeared. Now I'm into a dream. I'm into a spiritual vision, really. And it becomes a, a, a screen, like a movie you'd go to, and I'm just sitting there watching this, and it's my life on film. And I'm thinking, how can this, you know, internally I'm thinking, how can this be? This, uh, the guys are waiting out there for me to come back eventually. And so I saw the uh, film and all of a sudden I just knew it was Jesus talking to me. Don't ask me how I know it. I know this, I know things down here that my head doesn't understand right. yet. Yes. But I've trained myself when I know that feeling down here to obey that, not obey what's in my head. And that's what's wrong with a lot of people, not only in America, the world, they're just heady, heady people. Heady people can be smart, but not spiritual. Well, I'd rather be spiritual than just a smart person. I don't think I'm dumb to begin with, but never, never felt confident about anything in my life. Just being honest with all of you. I've had insecurities too. So he said, Michael, this is the first time he spoke to me. Jesus was talking. I didn't see him. I heard his voice. I just knew when I heard his voice down here, that was Jesus talking to me. Wasn't the Holy Ghost, wasn't the Father. And then he said, uh, Michael, I want you to go home. And I said, go home. And then, then I remember I remember me dying at 10 to 3 in the morning in July. 
So I knew I wasn't going to go to heaven then. I wasn't going to get out of my body either at that moment. I just knew that. He said, Michael, go home. In other words, where my mother and father lived. Because, you know, part of my drug friends were back home in the farm, and they got raided when we were out in California. They had police come in every door and window and dogs and all kinds of stuff because they've been watching us. And some narcotic agents got involved with this and turned everybody in that sold him drugs. I didn't. A few of us didn't. But anyway. So I go back out there in the other room. You know, I, got, well, I had to think. I'm just trying to meditate, think about what was just said to me. And I go out there and I said, you know, I, I'm going to go home. And they were all high, and I blew their brains. You know, I blew their mind out. They said, You're going to go home. What's wrong with you? I said, I don't. Everything's wrong with me right now. <laughs> but I got to get. I got to get out of this. And they said, if you don't shut up, and they used a lot of expletives too, we're going to get up and shut you up. I said, well, you can bring it if you want. I'll, I'll do my best to survive, but I'm not going to shut up. <laughs> I said, I just had an experience in the bathroom with God. And I'm going home. Not, not home to heaven or anywhere. I'm going to go back to my mom and dad's house. <laughs> so anyway, I hope I'm not boring you with this. And so I felt so strange. Let me read this scripture and then I'll finish my story here. Uh, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3, 4 and 5. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from off the altar. That's heaven's altar. He's taking ingredients, a compound of some sort, off the altar and mixes it in with the the uh, incense and the prayers of the saints. Then he takes that, it says, uh, in, he throws it into the earth and, and the, there were voices. First thing mentioned, the voice. That's all I heard in that bathroom, God's voice. Jesus' voice, to be specific. And you know, he knows everything. I don't know if you realize that he knows everything that you've done, everything you've thought, and everything you've whatever. But anyway, so I went back out there and I started talking. They didn't like, they didn't like that at all. I was blowing it. You know, they were, had a head going from their drugs, and I was blowing it all away for them. And then, and then I started crying real bad. I just standing in front of them. I just started weeping. I said, this doesn't bother any of you guys that we buried six of our friends last year. Five of them, I'm sorry. Three in overdoses, two shot to death in drug deals. I don't understand it. I, I can't live like this anymore. <laughs> I'm out. Whether you like it or don't like it, I mean, nothing personal against you. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do, but I've got, I got to get out of this because I'm going to die if I don't. How would you know that down here? I had a premature release in the, farm that, in the farmhouse that night, but anyway, I knew that I needed to go home. So I made my way back to Fairborn went to my mom's house. She was more of the speaker for the family anyway. And I said, Mom, I really need a place to chill out, not just lay around. Of course, she started through her list. She had a list of everything. You know, she was a smart lady. She didn't care what I thought either. That was good. And she said, you're not allowed to have girls over here. You're not allowed to do dope in our home. You're not allowed to drink in our home. And I said, I'm in agreement with everything you say. I submit. 
But the one thing I need to tell you, I, if I end up going to a drug dealer's house, which is all the people I knew now, and bikers, and girls that used to dance in clubs, I'm a dead man, Mom. I'm dead. I know it's coming if I don't get to, I got to get it together. She said, well, you're not going to mooch off us. I said, I understand that. I'm going to get a job. Give me two weeks. I think she said, I'm going to give you two weeks. That didn't straighten your life out in two weeks, but it, I'm going to give you two weeks just to think some things through. Then you're going to get a job. You're going to pay rent, and you're going to start growing up. So I said, yes, ma'am. And so I was grateful my mother took me back because I just knew I wasn't going to make it if I got around people like I was right then. I'm too, I said to my mom, I finally confessed that I am too weak to deal with that in my life right now. I'm just go ahead and shoot myself to death or whatever with the drugs or whatever. I'm, I'm just, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I said, mom, I'm so frustrated with my life. I don't, I don't, there's no girl I would like to be with. They're not any fun anymore. And drugs are no fun anymore. And I've shot everything I could think of to shoot in my body and I'm still not happy. I'm just frustrated. She said, well, all you need is Jesus, Michael. And then she just kept going back to that, of course. And I'm glad she did now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, so I came back home and I went to Baptist church. That's where I went when I did go to church as a younger boy from 5 to 15 because I was healed. You know, I don't know if you know that story. I got healed of wearing like, what's the guy's name? Forrest Gump. Those kind of braces. I had to wear those when I was younger for about two or three years. And God healed me. Angel visited me and all that. But I, I talk, I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about deliverance tonight with you. So uh, I asked the girl out. She said, well, I have to ask my parents. And what my mother did on Wednesday night, she'd take my name down to the prayer group on Wednesday and turn me in. And she'd say, my son is going to get killed or he's going he's to kill somebody. I just know him. He's just out there. He's a drug dealer. He's a drug addict. And her parents were in that prayer meeting. So when she told her dad she wanted to date me or something, oh, man, he was hot mad. And I listened to him. I heard him out. I said, okay, I'm in agreement with that. And I was to the best of my ability, but, you know, I, I wasn't even saved yet. So six weeks later, six to seven weeks later, she wanted me to go hear this. I think it was her brother-in-law. He was just starting to preach at a church in Dayton, Ohio, which is just 10 or 15 minutes from where Fairborn's at. And he preached, and I, I don't remember what he preached, to tell you the truth. I remember at the end of the sermon, he said, I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And, and I did that out of respect for him. And I'm 21 years old at that point, and all the other teenagers are in there with me, girls and boys, you know. And he said, I want you to bow your head. Ask God if you know him. So I said, well, I thought, well, okay. Father, do I know you? He said, no. I thought, no. He said, you know about me because you went to church, but you didn't pay attention. But if you'll come forward tonight in this meeting right now, Michael, stand up and walk to the front and pray with this preacher. I'll put your life back together. And you know, he did. <laughs> he really did. He really did. And I mean, I went back a different way. You know, and I did geographically, but just went back. I, I was, I mean, it's like a, a truck was lifted off of me or something. I was so burdened and oppressed of the devil and just did not live anything right, I think, for three years. And so, and I went to pick her up the next week to go to church or something. And she met me at the door, handed me a Bible, said, get out of my life. I don't want to see you. I don't want you to call me. I want you to leave me alone. Do you understand that? Yes, I understand. Here's your Bible. Bye-bye. Shut the door on me. Oh, that's great. I mean, she was a smart girl to do that with me at that point. Anyway, I'm just talking to you. It's not nice to talk about some of the stuff you did and lived through, but it's the truth. And I want you to understand, though, 
God can take care of things. Let's, uh, let's, let me tell you one more thing. I think it was a year later after I got saved at, at the Baptist church in Dayton with the little girl I thought I liked, young lady, I should say. And I went to put in a, uh, what do you call that, a, like a thing at a, to work at a cement plant, I'd go to human, Resor- human resources, and they had little, they looked like kids that the young kids sit in. It's got a little desktop that you slip in your body in the seat that it's got where you can write. So she gave me, it's like a one, one page thing uh, about, you know, different things. Just not, I'm not trying to be a rocket scientist. Do you understand me? Yeah. It was just like five or six or eight questions on there. And I sat there and I, and all of a sudden I just couldn't think. And I thought, oh man, help me, <laughs> help me father. And there were seven other people came in. I counted them one at a time. And each time they came in, I felt more depressed because they went up and got said, could I have a sheet? I want to fill out a questionnaire to work here. And they took it and they sat in a seat somewhere in that little room and they finished their thing. They all, all seven of them took it back to her. And I'm still sitting there an hour and 20 minutes later. And, you know, I still was kind of a tough guy on the inside. I'm not really a tough guy. I am today on the devil. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You wouldn't mind staying a little extra time with me, would you, to hear this? Just tell you what God brought me through. So I'm just, I say, a tough guy because I didn't want to get up and be crying, bawling, giving the lady this sheet saying I'm mentally incapacitated. That's what I felt like, exactly. And these are all men that work in a cement plant. And if you, if I was just walking back to my car. And I thought, man, if I start crying now, they think I'm a baby. Yeah. But when I got to the car, I really wept. And I said, Father, am I ever going to be normal again? Yeah. Or am I going to live through life with this handicap? Because I can't think. I can't remember things. I... And all of a sudden, the devil spoke up. I knew it was him, too. I knew a little more about him than I did God at that time. And he said, yeah, how's it feel, smart aleck? You're just such a hot rod, aren't you? You've just destroyed part of your brain. And then Jesus, it's the only time I remember him ever doing that for me. He stepped in between me and the devil and said, shut up, Satan. And the devil shut up and just left. And then Jesus said, you're going to be all right, Michael. I said, I'm sure glad you said that because I was thinking, I'm only, you know, 22 years old. And I have to go through my life mental, not being able to be a normal human anymore. And uh, it was just such a wonderful thing that God did for me. I appreciate him doing, doing that to me. And eventually I calmed down from crying and drove somewhere. And then they hired me later. I worked there several years. Anyway, let's go over here to the Gospel of Mark a minute. Uh, let's go to Mark 16. You don't mind me taking a little time to do this, do you? I want to lay a little good foundation. We won't, we, maybe I don't answer all your questions. Here's the point I made about mental. Your people are too mental. That's why people never get nothing from God. You can't get it with your mind. I don't care how smart you are in school or how much you know, practical common sense you think you have. If you can't get something from God from your spirit, you're out. I mean, you might love him and all that. He loves you definitely. We know that from all the preachers we heard this week. It's, I was trying to figure who was the better preacher. Every preacher I listened to outdid the other five or six. I don't know if mine will go over that well tonight, but I'm trying. Hallelujah. So what I'm saying is, maybe I'm not going to hit on your particular balloon that's up with the question in it, you know. Don't let that bug you. you you'll never get it with your head. You can't get things from God with your head. It doesn't, he believes in his heart, not his head. That's why I said a minute ago, I know a lot of things down here I could talk to you about, but sometimes I don't have people that can understand it. 
It would be like trying to talk to a one-year-old something that a 15 or a 20-year-old could take. Right. You know, I'm just talking. Not, I'm bragging. I'm just talking. But here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, is that where I ask you to turn? Verse 17 says, These signs, or wonders, or miracles, shall follow them that believe. Notice it didn't say anything about preachers. I know a lot of preachers, they don't believe nothing that I think is important. They could tell you where Paul was when he, you know, did this or that in a certain city. I could care less. I want to know what he said. And I want to know somebody that understands what, what it says that I can understand if you could talk to me and just... But this, I'm just showing you this, and there's nothing about the anointing in this passage. So that's how I started. I didn't know anything about the anointing. I didn't even know how to spell it. But I just got determined uh, in my life. Let me read this on, and then I'll make a comment. And these signs shall follow them that, these signs, not some other signs, that those who believe in my name, they shall cast out devils. That's the first thing he said believers would do, real believers, not even preachers. And most of the preachers I've met, not all of them today because they're, we're in a certain group that understands some of this, at least to some level. But I never hear preachers talk intelligently about the devil. I never hear them talk like that, like I would talk. Yeah. And why is that? They don't study it. They don't care. They got a pill for everything that you're ever going to deal with in this life. I don't care who you go to, the medical people, they've got a pill or surgery or something. And that's their answer to everything. Right. Yeah. And that's why there's so many people sick. When I started in the ministry, I could park anywhere in the parking lot. Now, I have, if I go to visit somebody, i got to park on the roof. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Because the world is sick. sick. And this is a big thing for me right now. I'm going to talk to you for a second about this. Mental, mental illness is on a rampage. I don't know if you understand this yet. The devil hates you just because you say you love Jesus. And if he can stop you or slow you down or impair you in some way, you're not going to do anything. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but this is what I used to do to churches, but I learned they didn't like that much. When, is there anybody here cast that devil, a real devil out of a real human being in the last year, raise your hand? Nobody could raise their hand. Or they were embarrassed to. Why are you embarrassed? What's the purpose in staying in this planet if you're not doing what God told you to do? I had a guy in my church in 1978. That's when I first started studying this subject. I've been studying it for 44 years, two years more than I studied on angels. Because I had people in my church. That was my second church that I pastored. I pastored three churches in my life. I used to pastor two other churches in my life. Different things. But, you listening? Yes, sir. Just, you see that. But I had people in that church, my second church. And I had no answers for them. And I couldn't see why they were all uh, not getting it. And I said, Lord, I need your help. I don't, I mean, I've been to seminary. I'm an honor student in seminary, whatever you call that. Head of my class. I never did anything like that ever before I met Jesus. Well, I wasn't a drug addict my whole life, not at 10 years old. You know, There's people that have done worse than I've done, but I'm just talking to you. And God said to me, Michael, I'm going to teach you about the devil and demons. It's not a cure-all, but it'll help a lot of people. Don't, and he said, I don't want you to read anybody's material on it. You understand me? Yes, sir. I don't want you to listen to anybody's, uh, that, then it was cassette day. I mean, I'm sure God understood all the MP3 and all the thir- things that you guys talk about, technical stuff, which I'm like in a Japanese house when you do that. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But I wouldn't even have a cell phone unless I, I need one. Because they bug me, bug me too. Anyway, 
What's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to not be distracted. And I've been living like this for a long time. It make me this way. I purpose to help God make me this way. So I'm not mad at you if you have 10 phones. You can do whatever you want. But you're going to be distracted your whole life if that's the way you're thinking. You can use a computer for good things too. But I, never, I don't look up anybody's website, any, anybody's website for any reason. I never do. Even my friends. That's off, I just don't even play with it. I haven't got time to do that and do what God wants me to do. Have you seen my schedule lately? Just talking. Now, you could do that and fall dead in six months because you don't pay attention. But I don't have that in store for me either. All right, so the first thing that Jesus mentioned, these are the last few words he spoke on this planet. The last few, you just know, I know Jesus pretty well, and I know me pretty well. I'm not going to talk to you something frivolous if I knew I was going to die tomorrow. You know, and I've been teaching on angels for 40 years, but the last two years I've preached hundreds of times, and I wanted to move to something else that he wouldn't let me. And I wasn't thinking about this, but then as I prayed about it and got closer to the meeting, the Lord began to deal with me. I want you to talk about that subject. And you need to teach people what you always say. Stay with the word and quit being afraid of the devil. He loves that when you're afraid. <laughs> and you've got to get tough on the inside with him. He only knows one thing, and that's faith that will put, put him out. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. I hope I'm not disillusioning you, but you're not. You're in control down here. God's not. If he is, he sure got it in a mess, and I wouldn't serve him one more day if he caused all this. Mental health issues, physical issues, no healing for people because they don't know how to do that. I'm not critical of the medical people. They do what they could do, but there's a limit on that. My Bible says in Psalm 78:41 that Israel did the same thing. They put limitations on God. Now I'm seeing more miracles than I've ever seen, more healings than I've ever seen, more creative miracles than I've ever seen, more devils cast out. Than, and in fact, I'll just tell you this story right now. It's just in, uh, what state was that? Nebraska. And the, the driver drove me up and uh, one of my sons and daughters, the Owings, I brought them with me because if you can't like the Owings, you just need to quit going to church. <laughs> I don't mind if you're mad at me, I don't care. But the, if you can't like them, you've got a problem. You really got, and here's something else I've learned about people. Listen to me carefully. If you start feeling resentful towards me, you really got a serious problem. Because the only thing I'm here for is to help you. You know, I'm not being a smart, I already know this. I walk in that. (laughs) Because I'm not afraid of the devil and I'm not afraid of humans. I'm in charge when I'm in, when a pastor turns a service over me, you're not in a pastor's room anymore. You're in a prophet's room and it's different than a pastor. It's not more important. It's just different. And I have to pay a price for that sometimes because Jesus said, you know, they hated me. He was the head. How much more are they going to hate you? Because especially when you talk about stuff like this. I mean, you know, I'd be surprised if a whole bunch of you knew much about this subject. Because people don't t- talk about it much. Right. It's all hush-hush, you know. Yeah. All right, let me, I got to move on here somewhere. Oh, the guy, the guy, so I got out of the car and there was a guy going in the building. He, he, he looked beshoveled. His hair was all skewed. Mine might be too today because I took a nap, but anyway. <laughs> and I felt for him. My heart went out to him immediately. I said, how you doing, sir? He said, oh, Okay. I said, well, I believe you'll get something tonight. And I had a deliverance line for something. I don't remember what it was. And he got in that line, and he called the church the next morning because we had lunch together with the pastors. 
And he said, you know, when I got in that prayer line with Dr. Jacobs last night, something came out of my chest and left me when he prayed for me. I was so thrilled about that. He just looked like he was beat up, not physically, but spiritually. He just seemed like that, you know, mentally, just beat up, beat down. You know, you've got to be able to help people. And so, just listen, you can't do it unless you know something. So when I teach anything I teach, especially this, I always teach it from two perspectives. Number one, if you need help, I can help you tonight. I can't help you without the anointing. That That's the part that does help you, <laughs> the anointing on my life. And when I started teaching on this, I just got up, and the Lord said, I'm going to teach it, but don't listen to other people. Don't read other books about it. You know, Dr. Summerall lived up the coast from me, up the state in Indiana at the top. I was at the bottom, but I, because he said that, I didn't. When Jesus said, don't read other people's material on this, you, that's what he said. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts. You stay with me. What I did and what the early church did, you'll be successful. And here I am 50 years later almost. Uh, well, I started studying this in 1978. So that's quite a ways back. And then eventually when I started understanding what he was telling me, I started doing what he did and just tried to f- get the word to renew my mind to that and things like that. You know, the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear. So if any fear at any level of my life tries to creep in, I know it's the devil. And he's in for a battle with me. You know, I'm going to tell you a real interesting story in just a minute that reminds me of the devil. But let me, let me go on and read this. 17, he said, if you believe in my name, you'll cast out devils and then you speak in new tongues. That's just real simple. And they'll take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing, they'll not hurt them. Now, I've never, you don't tempt the Lord your God by picking up, going to a place with serpents and try to, that are poisonous and pick them up and try to prove something. That's testing God. But Paul had a serpent by him and it latched on him enough. He had to sling him away and he was no harm. They were waiting for him to blow up and die. That's what you do when poison gets in your system from a snake. And he, they all watched him. He kept living. Yeah. And it says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And verse uh, 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, including uh, uh, camp, the Lord working with Dr. Jacobs and confirming the word with signs. He's not confirming me. He's confirming the word I'm teaching you. All right. Well, I think I'm going to tell you about this one story here, I think, at this point. Let me see. Hang on just a minute to me. Let's, let's go back here. When you were in Mark 16. Go back to, to Psalm 18 with me, please. You guys are quiet. That's okay. You can be as quiet as you want. You don't bother me. I just I want you to listen. But you, if you want to say amen, you can. Or, and, uh, but, you know, we just don't hear this. And we did, when we do, normally, I don't know what's wrong with preachers. When they don't, Psalm 18, verse 1 and 2. I'll let you get there before I take off on something here. I'm still talking about deliverance for me and you. And I'm going to tell you a couple of issues that I had um, that got delivered and healed from it both. But uh, Psalm 18, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. So what I like about that is David puts it in first person. He's not saying, you got a problem. He said, I got a problem. (laughs) But you're my deliverer, Jesus. Or father, you know, whatever. So you need to make things personal to you. If you need delivered, then you need to receive it. But let me tell you, the the easier parts to get you delivered, I've never had a problem with that. 
unless people don't want to be delivered. Now, fortunately for me, I guess maybe I didn't understand it at first that I began to figure it out. I operate in discerning of spirits, which is seeing into the spirit world, not every day, not everything. I don't think I'd want to do that. I don't even think Jesus did that for sure. I don't know that he did. He had the spirit without measure, but that's a big, that's a big thing. They have just one, so operating that in a word of knowledge, which knows things by the spirit about people that I wouldn't have known. <laughs> How many understand that? But sometimes I know things about people that I didn't know. Nobody told me anything. I just said it and they responded. And I never say anything to embarrass anybody. Get that through your head. So if I say some of these stories, you might think, oh my God, did you say something? No, I just told you. I don't embarrass people. But I can't get you delivered if you, if you think that the things that's going on in your life are your friends. In other words, if you want to do that the rest of your life, you're going to, you're going to tear up your life. You're going to, your body's going to fall apart eventually. Your mind's going to fall apart because you're in disobedience. It's not that God's judging you, but you put, there's a big target shows on you in the spirit realm that you can't see. And the devil will try to kill you because you're in a rebellion. Did you know the Bible teaches that? Yeah. Did I read Psalm 18? Uh, let me think what that is. It's uh, Proverbs 17, 11. Let's just run over there real quick. I didn't have that in my notes, but I'd like to talk to you about it. Um, Proverbs 17, 11. Let's look at this. And you need to realize that it might not be the things that you've heard. It could be a lot of different things that you're in rebellion with. Maybe you just don't want to do what he wants you to do. I don't remember which of the speakers said that. Maybe all of them thought it. I don't know. I sure didn't feel qualified to preach and be a man up in front of people talking. I wasn't interested in that. I said, you got the wrong guy, Lord. I'm sorry, but I'm not arguing. Well, you are, but he didn't tell me that right then. So it says here, verse 11, Proverbs 17, 11, an evil man seeketh only rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger, that's a demonic creature, an angel of some sort, or an evil spirit, shall be sent against him. So I read that one day, and the Lord said, this, this is recently in the last 10 years, the Lord said, I, you know I've called you to be a prophet. When are you going to start obeying me? Wow. And I went back and I read that there in Proverbs and said, uh-oh. He was put out with me because I was resisting that. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with pastoring. I like pastoring. I like people. So-so, but I do like them. <laughs> but... It was not an easy thing for me. You might think, you may think I'm Hollywood. I don't know what you think. I have no idea what any of you think about what I'm saying right now. I'm kind of skipping over into the prophet's ministry, which most of you don't know much about. I know that for a fact because all the pastors I know, they never even bring up the prophet right <laughs> by, by, by the word there right. and know what they're talking about. But anyway, I realized I'm going to become a, I'm going to have something sin against me if I don't straighten up because God said, I've called you to do that. And you need to, you're, you've been a good man and all that. You know, he's come encouraging me. But he said, that's not your call, really. Your call is the ministry of the prophet. If you think back on your life, you'll see it. So I thought back, and sure enough, it came up a lot. And so I said, okay. So I had to get used to a whole different thing on me and in me. Am I making sense? Yes, sir. Yeah. One time I was praying for a lady in, in uh, my church. I had another man with me and two other ladies that I trusted. This is what I'm saying who could be with me and minister deliverance. Most people don't even know how to do that. So it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be benefit them to be with me if I needed them to have faith in it. They've never done it. And in that kind of mentality, you think everything you do is wrong. 
And sometimes that's true. It is all wrong until you straighten it out and figure out how to straighten it out. And how did I learn? I learned by error, practice and error. And sometimes I missed it, and I had to fix that, and I had to think about it different. Anyway, this lady, I don't want to call her Beverly. That's not her real name. But, and I said, I took her by the head, and, and Dale was with me. Is Dale here tonight? Dale Tillett, does he show up for any reason? Oh, you're back here in the back. Good, I'm glad you're here. He was with me. And, you know, I'm not going to give you the real name of the lady, but it was at Otisco. And I said, come out of her, and that spirit walked out of her about four feet. He looked at me, and he looked back at her, and he just walked right back into her. I said, uh, Beverly, you got a problem. No, I don't. I said, yes, you do. And listen, I'm your pastor. If you want to argue with me, just get yourself home and go to, go, go, go to, go to bed or whatever you're going to do. Because I, I got eight more people to minister to, and I haven't got time to fool with this. Foolish. You got a problem. It's your problem because I saw that evil spirit come out on my command, not yours. But you've got an open door in you. He just walked right back in. Right. Kind of smirk about it with me, too. He looked at me like, huh, I'm going to go back. And I said, so either you repent with me over whatever you, you all riled up, or you can go home with your devil. Yeah. And don't, it doesn't matter to me if that's the way you want to play it, because I can play hardball, too. Right. Either tell me what you're upset about or get out of my line. Go, yeah. go, out, go home tonight, because i got other people to care for. You're not the only church member I have. <laughs> and finally... I don't know why people are so hard-headed. Who's hard, uh, Jordan preached that? Stiff-necked and hard-headed. And she argued with me. For, I said, I'm not got time to argue. Either you're guilty or not guilty. Well, I guess it's my husband. What did he do to you? he do anything wrong to you? No. What's your problem? I don't like him. I said, well, you need to figure that out between you and him. But what, you're going to keep your devil unless you repent of your resentment and bitterness and your unforgiveness towards your husband. That's right. yeah. Did he do anything real off the wall to you? Did he, you know beat you up or did something crazy that you don't want to talk about? Nope. I said, well, then you need to repent. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. If you want to take my hand, if not, just start walking. And she said, okay, I'll pray with you. I know, just about a 30-second prayer. Father, I forgive my husband. And you know what happened? That spirit walked right out, and he looked back at me like, shoot. <laughs> because that's the inroad into most people's lives. Resentment, bitterness, anger, hatred. Uh, Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a, big, is a big door in people's life. And you'll die young because of it and probably die sick if you're that much. Well, let me show you. You think I make up stuff. I hope you don't because don't talk back to me bad. If you do, there's a real judgment for that. You may not like everything I say, but that doesn't mean I didn't know what I was talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Go over here with me real quick. This is powerful verses. <laughs> I got so much to say and I'm only a half a sheet done. Thank you. I, I just wanted to make sense to you and know that it's all in the Bible. Everything I'm saying. My, that's the biggest book I have right now. And one of my sons said, you didn't even talk about the spirit of Korah, the spirit of Saul, the spirit of Jezebel, and the spirit of whatever. I taught that in my church one time. And I commanded the people in the church. To, if that's you I just read about, this, you have the spirit of Korah on you, you need to repent and get up here right now. And every service we had people come to the altar. I didn't make fun of them. I'm trying to keep them out of danger. <laughs> you know, Jezebel, she's not a good lady to live with. And it could be a man that's a Jezebel. That's not the title. It's the way they act. I've led a lot of men that are that way. A lot of men. Just dictatorial, want to be in charge of everything. You've got it all figured out. You know exactly how to live in victory. I doubt it. 
I only met one man that really lived in victory, and that's Jesus. I mean, total victory. <laughs> well, you're too hard. No, you're just not thinking with me. And Jesus said, you're to follow in his steps. So I'd have to learn how to do that to become like him. You think I'm pretty strong. You have no idea what Jesus, he loves you, but he got in there with the whip one day and beat him. Stop doing that. Oh, he didn't do that. He did a lot of things you don't believe probably because you don't read it. Then if you do, it's too intense for you. Don't be like that with him. He'll teach you everything he knows. I don't know it all yet. I'm still learning. Verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. To whom you forgive anything, there it is, I forgive also Paul writing to him, for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. In other words, I got Jesus Christ living in me and he enables me to forgive people of all things. Do you ever read his, his uh, portfolio about I was beaten by my own people, I was shipwrecked, I was stoned so many times and stoned in the city, stoned in the field. Then he says, verse 11, this is, this is a good verse to remember about forgiveness. Least Satan, the devil, should get an advantage of us. And he will not, for we are not ignorant of his devices, a better word would be his schemes. Yeah. You know, people just get in unforgiveness over all kinds of things. I had a good friend, I really liked him, and we were close to each other for a while. You know, him and his wife, me and my wife. And I went away to seminary, and he came down one time, and he just practically jumped up in the chair in the living room. My living room was critical of me. It used to be some fun. I said, what does that mean? I'm down here learning more about Jesus, Jesus than I've ever learned, even though I'm not sure those people know everything that they should say. He said, well, you're just no fun anymore. I said, well, maybe you're not either. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> so I went up to visit him next time I went to Ohio. That's where I'm from. He wanted to go have pizza. We were sitting there eating pizza. And I'm talking about forgiveness now. And I'm talking about how you don't even realize how you act around other people. And he said to me, I sure like that girl in the choir. I said, I'm not going to mention his name because these tapes get everywhere. Let's call him John. John, your wife don't sing. No, I wasn't talking about her. You weren't talking about your wife. Are you still married to her? Yeah. And you like the girl in the choir. And I, was, I wasn't even graduated from seminary yet. I haven't even started teaching on this, but I knew enough to say this to you. If you want to, I'm going to pay the check and we'll go to my car. I'll cast that devil out of you. You've got a problem. The devil's invaded your mind, brother. <laughs> and you're going, to pay, you're going to pay significantly if you don't get that out of your head. I don't want you to pray for me. He's going to church. He's playing an instrument on the praise team. And he's thinking about being with another lady. And I warned him. I said, please don't do that. Don't do that. I know your wife. She loves you. And you got two children to think about. He ignored me. He got hooked up with her and then he gave his wife a disease. I know this don't sound popular to teach at church, but I'd like you to hear this. And then not only that, his one, I think it was the son overdosed and died. And then his daughter got a little bigger. She got cancer somewhere and she died. And of course, his wife left him eventually, which she should have done, you know, if he's given her some kind of disease I couldn't stop him from it he just he was going to have his way and a lot of people are like that you don't realize there's consequences somewhere that's going to show up maybe you can't handle the consequence I don't know I'm just talking to you it's not just about sex it's just about disobedience yeah okay well thank I'm trying to I'm trying my best to so remember about unforgiveness I don't care what they did don't be a hater 
I determined about 20 years ago, maybe 25 now, with the church people, because that's people I'm normally around, I'm just going to forgive them all right now, 20 years ago, and not let it prevail. And if anybody does something to me that's not right, I'm just going to forgive them, whether they ask me to or not. Most of them are not even smart enough to ask to be forgiven. (laughs) They don't care what they said to you. Well, God cares about it. And you can't treat other people like I'm indicating some people treat people and get by with it. You might get by with it for a little bit when you're a baby Christian. But you're not going to live like that and live in health at all. Because you're starting to be unforgiving and bitter and resentful. All those things cause downfalls. I'm not mad at you. I'm not implying you're doing that. But if you're even even getting close to any of these things, I'm saying you need to just repent. And you don't need to tell me about it. I, I've already heard a lot of stories. And I'm not being smart aleck either. I'm just, I'm kind of like, uh, what was the dog in the Wizard of Oz? Toto? Toto. You remember him? He, the, guy, the guy's behind the curtain and Toto pulls the curtain back and there he stands. He's got this, uh, you know, extreme fancy looking uh, <laughs> computer. And he says, don't pay any attention to the mind behind the screen. And he's up here belching out fire. And ah, I'm the Wizard of Oz. And Dorothy gives him what for. That's what you got to do with the devil. Give him what for. Yeah. Yeah. He don't have to do anything. He's just what for. You need to think that right, right about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. All right. Let me talk to you just a minute here. What we need to do is when, when something's exposed to us, we need to say, you come out in Jesus' name. You don't have to see people get in their head. This, I'm going to give you an example. A person asked me one time in a seminar. I took questions. I shouldn't have done it because people were just goofy. <laughs> They're Paul people, P-A-W. People are weird. That's my acronym. Since you got it all for your computer stuff and everything's a G-O-T and a da-da-da and a J-O-B, I think you said. I knew that was Joe. But, yeah. You don't have to need the name of anything except the name of Jesus. That's what it said back here in Mark 16, 17. If these signs shall follow you. You're not following. I don't follow signs. I'm not looking for a man's, how he operates in the spirit, but I am looking at a fruit if I'm going to trust a person. So I want to tell you about something happening. Let me see here what I got. You say, come out in Jesus' name. You need to speak with authority. However, I need to warn you about something. See, the reason I teach it is you'll get an interest and you'll maybe get my book or somebody else's book. I can't guarantee what other people say about this subject. I think most of them are wrong, to give you the truth. Definitely on angels, I've, wrote, I've read 100 books and I shredded 97 of them. And the three that I have, one of them's mine. So that's the way I feel about it. If you're going to write night, you need to write truth, not just have a slick cover. So people want to buy it because it looks cool. Yeah, but what's in it? All right. Yeah. You may or may not, you may or may not especially have an anointing. Uh, in this area, but you are a believer. You have the name of Jesus. I just read it to you in Mark 16. You don't have to always know everything to begin to act because Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, 9, I know in part, I speak in part. So he didn't know everything either. I didn't know everything either about anybody. When I talk to people, sometimes I have a word of knowledge and it's like people think, he must know a lot about me. I said, all I knew was you had a bad left knee, lady. What's your problem? I don't know where you work. I don't know if you've got any children. don't know if you've been with five men or you've been with a husband, uh, you know, being normal for a time. I don't know where you work. I don't know what you think. And I don't, I don't let people get in my head because they can't, I don't want people in there messing with my mind. 
All right. Now, I wanted to tell you something. This may help you. I think it will. It's helped this young lady in Nebraska. She got up to introduce me one night, and she works for the pastor, and he, she knows her pretty well. So she said, well, the pastor here asked me to get up and introduce Dr. Jacobs. And I told this story the night before about being in the Navy, and I was unbeliever back then. You understand? I was not a saved person. And I had, a, I had this bully in my, I don't know what you call it, that unit. There were 60 men probably in that unit. And they had the one guy in here. I liked this other guy pretty well. He had a, like a, a water head. I'm not making fun, but his head was about one and a half times the size of all the rest of us men. And guess who picked on him all the time? The bully. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I just know about me. I just know if you flip all my switches and run all my bells up, yeah. I'm liable to confront you. I don't care who you are. Right. And he just had done it the last time I was going to put up with it. I'm going to talk to, to you about it. Because the girl got up and said, I know one thing. Because I said, this is how you have to treat the devil when I told this story. And I call him Big Mouth because he's always blowing, you know, blowing smoke and thinks he's tough. He, he's a pretty well-built guy, a lot heavier than me and got a lot of muscles. And I jumped off the, my bed there in the, in the barracks and he was back, oh, maybe not quite as far as that big silver computer, but about like where John Daniel's sitting. Raise your hand, John. He's about that far away from me. And I just had all that I was going to take. I don't know if you understand that or not. I didn't, say, I didn't say it was right. I haven't been like that in a long time, thank God. I got some self-control. But I said, hey, big mouth. <laughs> he turned around and looked at me like, and this is the way he looked. Are you talking about me? I said, yeah, I'm talking to you, big mouth. I don't want anything coming out of your mouth told this boy anymore. Or, and you're going to tell me whether you're going to shut up about it or I need to take you out right now. Now, you're a little bigger than me, but just remember, I'm mean. I will bite you. I will choke you. I will hurt you. You may win in the end, but you're going to be sad you took me on. And then all these cronies jumped off their bed, so there's about six of them now. And I wasn't thinking to anybody by me. I'm not even thinking like that, but I heard the commotion by me, and there were four or five guys jumped off their bed. I said, praise God, we're going to get it on. <laughs> now, I know that's not a good Christian attitude, but just let me tell the story. And he wouldn't talk about it. I said, you're going to talk or I'm going to start running at you in about 30 seconds. You're going to give me your word in front of these men that are in here with me today or I'm going to come at you today. But I want to guarantee if you say something to the boy and we're out there marching, I will break rank and grab you about your throat. I will choke you. I will, I'll scratch you. I'll bite you. I'll punch you. I'll hurt you. I, I mean, I've had it. And, and he just was so startled anybody would talk to him like that. That's the way the devil is with you. Yeah. He, he shoots his mouth off. If you do that, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to switch you. You're not going to do nothing that I don't let you do. And I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with people. Now, that, you don't want to be in a fit of rage where you're going to kill somebody. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that. But just listen to the story. And the girl got up. And I thought, nobody's ever said that back to me. She said, I figured out how, what the devil is. He's a bully. But he's afraid of people that will stand up to him. And if you're not like that, you just ought to leave this thing alone as far as trying to help somebody else. The devil is a liar, and all of his cohorts or colleagues are liars. The Bible, he's the father of lies. My wife preached that to my son and daughter her whole life. Just remember, if you lie, you're the devil's child. Hooray! You think it's light, but it's, it's really helped your life. So that girl got up and said to, to me, and I was so appreciative that she got it. She didn't have to hear it 15 times. She got it. The ministry of deliverance is not an excuse to be lazy. 
have poor priorities or just be a minimal believer doing very little to build your spiritual life. The average preacher and sheep know so very little about this subject. And this is a startling statement I I found out. Jesus taught more and gave more information about the devil and demons than any other person in the Bible. I don't think you knew that either. You had to learn it like I did. Because he wants to teach us what his operations are and how he functions in deceit, lying, telling things that he'll never perform, be able to do that. I mean, even the Old Testament says, are we going to say, this is the thing we were afraid of when we get to heaven? He won't be in heaven, but however, God's going to play that out for us. Is this the one that caused all the turmoil in my life? Yes. And because when you agree with him, then that can come to pass too. You agree with God's word, then all this can come to pass. You could get kept by God where the evil one, 1 John 5, 21, touches you not. Or 5, 18 maybe. I think 21 is the thing about idols. But 1 John um, 5, 18, I think, is what I was thinking about. Now you think about this. People... You know, Jesus, when he ministered, he ministered all kinds of, in church services, in street corners, in open air services. And he, he was always around believers and unbelievers the same. But we should never be ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. You know, he gave authority to all of us as believers and, and his whole staff and all the, any, he never chose anybody that didn't give authority over the devil. I don't know if you realize that or not. Jesus. He's the head of the church, you know. Jesus never sent out anyone without authority over the devil and the demons. That's an amazing thing. We always come on the authority of the written word when we're dealing with something. Hallelujah. Yeah, let me talk about a couple of things here. Let's look, let's look at a, let me say something too before I get started. I'm going to pray for you in a while. What time do we start? Did you get me up? Does anybody know? I've been preaching very long. You can look at your watch. I won't say anything. Thank you. Okay, I didn't recognize that. I see what you mean. I do that quite a bit and don't recognize it. Okay, let's see here what I want to say. Let's go, let me go to, um, let me go back to Luke 4.18. Let's look at something in the scriptures here. I have a, I have a, um, a chapter in my book on deliverance that is this statement uh, deliverance is just another form of healing. Because I think, I said that on purpose because I think the average person around the world, not just America, uh, they have the idea that the devil is so big and mean and he, you'd never be able to handle him, which is a lie. I mean, Jesus said, all authority is given to me in Matthew's gospel, the last chapter, 28, but I'm over in Luke 4. And he said, go and teach people what I've taught you. So if he has all authority, now Jesus, we give the devil authority by listening to him and then saying what he said. Are you listening? And I'm not saying we need to lie, but we need to watch what we repeat that somebody told us we have or somebody told us, and you know, they, they, they think they were being thorough. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Maybe they don't know what they're talking about. That's always a reasonable thing to think about. Okay. Look, look, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord or the, uh, God's spirit is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance 
to the captives. So part of preaching what Jesus would preach is these things listed here. And they all mean something a little different. But he told us to preach deliverance to the captive. So if there's any captivity going on, I'm trying to preach that to you and help you to see there's a way out. Are you listening to me? Yeah. Just talking to you a minute. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I got saved in December 71. By May of 72, I just met what Diana, my wife, we just met then. And I did something to my body down here working at the cement plant, and they had to do surgery down there and cut me open and repair some stuff. And three surgeons came in my uh, room at the hospital, and they said, uh, Mr. Jacobs, what did you use to take care of uh, hepatitis C? I said, what do you mean, what did I take? Well, this, it doesn't stop by itself. You'd have to use some kind of drug or chemical or like chemotherapy and things like that. Joe, you still here? Yeah, I was talking to you, but somebody about that recently, about your testimony. Did you know Pastor uh, Brother Joe had the same thing? It's hepatitis C. It'll destroy your liver, and if it does, you're done, unless you can get a miracle every day from somebody. What I mean by that is there was a guy, one guy I knew one time that did have a serious problem with some organ, and he, God just gave him everyday faith to believe for that. But most people would have died. Yeah. And even Joe would have probably died. The doctor indicated that. And so I'm with these three surgeons, and they're asking me, what did I take for the... I said, are you telling me I have it right now or I had it? We checked your enzymes on your liver and we went back over your blood and it indicates you had it. It did one half 1% damage to your liver and then it stopped abruptly, which means you took something for it to stop it. I said, the only thing I did, I got saved last December. Jesus Christ came into my life. That's the only thing I did different. What, do you know anything about drug abuse? I said, I've been a full-blown addict for three years until last December. <laughs> yeah, I know something about it. Well, somehow, I don't know how that happened because they, they shook my head. They're here and said, well, we don't know nothing about this Jesus Christ stuff. I said, that's too bad. You guys need to learn something. I wasn't talking down to them, but they acted like that's the stupidest answer I ever got. You know, when, you know, they just didn't understand. But that's a spiritual answer. I didn't even know I had it, but God healed me anyway. How much more could he do if we knew this? All right. All right. I'm going to tell a couple more stories and I'm going to pray for you. That'd be all right. I got so I want to take you through a whole lot of scriptures here, but I'm running out of time too. But all through the gospel of Luke, I got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five big scriptures. I'm going to take you to Luke 10 though. Look at this with me. Then I'm going to talk to you about a couple deliverances that we have done around the earth. And uh, I think it'll help you. And I'm, I'm going to talk about one of the things I got delivered from, or maybe both of them if I have time. We'll have to see. Anyway, Luke 10, verse 17 through uh, 19 would be sufficient. We could go to verse 20, but Luke 10, 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. The disciples went out two by two. And they, they came back to Jesus and said, Even the devils or demons are subject unto us through your name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, which are types of demonic spirits depicted as a serpent and a scorpion. And over all, listen to this, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You need to meditate on that until it's part of you. You're not going to do that quite for one week, one time a day. That's not going to work. I'm just telling you what I know you have to pay a price. If you want this kind of freedom 
for yourself or somebody you love, you're going to have to get with it. and do. You, I can't do that for you. Jesus won't do that for you. You have to renew your own mind. Let me say it to you this way. You have to crucify your flesh. God's not going to do that for you either. So if your flesh is out of control in some area, you need to control it. You need to find the scriptures that give you ability to talk to your body and your body will listen to you. I don't care what kind of problem it is. It'll listen to you if you keep it up. You can't just be disgusted and never done it in your life and do it three times and think you're going to be healed. You're kidding yourself. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not, a, I'm not a bearer of bad news. I'm a bearer of good news that people will listen. Yes. That's good. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a guy show up at my church one time at 6 o'clock at night. I was pastoring in. Normally I wasn't there that late. I was there that night. I think my son-in-law Jacob was with me. Jordan was somewhere else doing something uh, in the building. And my wife and my daughter were in the office. And my wife came back to get me. At the, where I was at in the next office behind her, she said, honey, there's a guy who looks like a biker standing in the foyer. He said he wants to talk to the pastor. I said, uh, well, you know, I'm done. Put a fork in me. I'm done today. Anybody ever been done one day? You just did so much and you've been doing it for three years or two months or whatever it's been. And you just said, I'm done. Put a fork in me. So she left the room and she started into the doorway that goes to the foyer. And the Lord said to me, I thought it was kind of, I, got, I, I teased him about it a lot since he did this to me. And he just was real sweet. He goes, Michael, you could help him if you wanted to. I said, How would you, why would you do that to me right now? Why would you do yeah. that to me? Yeah. I mean, I was, they needed to answer me, so I knew I just thought straighten up and do what he asked. I said, honey, tell him I'll be there in a minute. So I went out in the hallway. He's uh, six, two or three. He's a big guy like Jacob was tall guy. He had a bandana on. He had uh, biker boots on like he rode a Harley. And he had one of those uh, wallets that's got a chain about 10 feet long that goes down. And I said, what's up? He said, my sister, she's full of the devil. And I tried to cast the devil out of her and, and she scared the, gave me the real word there, scared the you know what out of me. I said, well, I like your honesty. Where is your sister? She's out in the car. Well, then go get her. So this little lady gets out of the car. She's very skinny and very old. Grabs her purse funny like this and goes. She, she came in the front door. I was standing there and, and the brother was over by me. And Jacob was standing there somewhere next to me. And she stood on this little carpet we have at the front door like this. And she saw me and she glared at me. And then she started barking like a dog. And so Jordan had been doing something in the back of the church and he walked down the hallway and he saw this lady barking at me. I've had a lot of people bark at me. And I don't like it. But Jordan came down the hallway and like he had some kind of like doll that used to have a stringer on their neck and they talk when that goes back in. He went, I wasn't going to do that to you, Jordan, but I had to. It was such a good... And... So I jumped on her. I just took a leap and jumped and grabbed her head. Come out of her. She had a little epileptic seizure, which a lot of people, the devil does to a lot of people and tries to freak me out. I know his plans. And she fell out. And the biker guy said, man, you killed her, preacher. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I said, she's not dead. She'll be right back in a minute. I guarantee it. And my wife had the little blinds and she was, 
And Jessica too, I think. Didn't that too happen? Yeah, she's peeking out too. Jordan was down the hall and Jacob's the only one who stood with me. <laughs> I felt like saying to that guy, take those motorcycle boots off. And take your bandana off. You're not worthy to ride a Harley. I'm not even a moped right now. <laughs> How, why would you act like such a chicken? And she, they left. I got up. She went left. So act like she was getting, got something. And I said to him, you need to bring your sister around more. We could help you and her to get understand how you do this and stuff. But anyway, funny. <laughs> then I tell this one story. Maybe I don't know if I want to tell all of it. I, let me see here what I got. I got several things. Uh, one lady called me from my church one time. Dale, you're back there. I'm not using the right lady's name, but this lady called me from Charlestown. She said, Pastor, I have taken an overdose and named the drug. I know what it was. And I said, What? I'm going to use a different name. Mary, why would you do that? I've been so depressed. Why didn't you tell me before you did it? And I could have maybe averted it. And she said, oh, my God, I need help. I said, I'm not going to show up down to the hospital because they're going to take all this information and they're going to restrain me. Because if you have stuff like that happen, there are certain legal laws they have to comply with. If you have a serious mental problem like that and you take a bunch of medication, and if they don't pump your stomach real soon, you're going to get really sick and die if you don't have medical help. So she said, well, is there any way you could come to the church and meet me? So I called Dale. Is that right? Yeah, I just want to make sure somebody knows I'm telling the truth about this. I said, I'm not going to meet with any lady in my church. I don't care who you are uh, unless I can get some other man or a woman to come and validate whatever gets said about it. Because how can I prove something didn't happen if somebody proves? I just know some people are mean and some are full of the devil. Just learn to tell the difference. But don't be so naive all the time. Yeah. I don't understand that in humans today. They're just so naive. So I went down to the church and Dale was there and we both went in together with her. We all went in, the three of us. Put her in a chair like right here. Laid hands on her. I said, Father, make her throw up. And she went, oh. I said, go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. She ran down the hall and in her little bathroom yeah. threw it all back up. Praise and she's got, she didn't have to go to the medicine table. Yes, yeah. To a hospital, the her name, put it in the paper and you know, people get their lives destroyed over one yeah. bad mistake. Right. So if you're feeling like that, you're going to go to somebody that knows how to help you get delivered right. or at least get That's you right. free at the moment. And then you need to pursue something maybe. Yeah. 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 Praise God. I, I'm not the smartest kid in the block. I'm not. I just pay t- I just stay with God. Mm-hmm. That people say, well, how is it you lasted this long? I've been saved 50 years. I've been on, I think, 23 nations, over 115 or 20 trips now. Uh, and I had to pay for all those trips, by the way, except for one. Yep. So I had to believe for half a million dollars over all the other stuff that we've done with our church and things like that, helping other people, just talking. Just, you know, at least you think it's just a skip in the park. You have to have faith to believe for things if you're going to have it. And if you're not going to have it, that's not a sense that you're a failure. Maybe you're just not at that level of faith. Maybe you never will be. I don't know. I know Brother Copeland plays a million dollars a month for his mail, I'm told, to send it out. You've got to have some faith if you're going to do yes, stuff sir. like that. That's all I'm saying. Maybe not a million, but that's what they told me that he pays. Yeah. I'm just talking. It's just Amen. Faith will just put you over. Yes, okay, so anyway, that lady got delivered, didn't get in a lot of trouble. And then I wanted to talk about maybe Tawana maybe. And I, got, I was at Central State Hospital one time, which is a trip anyway to be there. It looks more like it's kind of a prison-looking place with constant, constant and wire or whatever they call that at the top. 
And uh, I went there, a young man who was in my church in, back in Louisville in 1976, 77, 78, 77, 78. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not attracted to macabre things. Are you listening to me? I want you to know that I'm not watching TV with, I don't know what's wrong with humans. That saw The Walking Dead. If you watch that, you ought to be punished. I don't know what's wrong with you. Watching people eat other people's heads. I mean, what is that? I don't get it. And this lady on Good Morning America was bragging about that's her favorite show. I said, honey, she's nuts. Can talk well, nice looking lady, dresses nice, and she's screwball. That's my favorite show on TV. I mean, even, even Raymond would be better for you than that. I don't know if you're listening to me or just uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm talking. Anyway. Anyway, I went to pray for him because he was a young man. I, I went to the paper in Fern Creek and I asked the lady that owned the paper there. It was a local thing. Would you interview me maybe and let me talk truth to you about my ex-drug addict experience? I, and why for? Because I just took a church over up here by the fire station in Fern Creek in the community room. I got about 20 members. And I'd like to put that in your little paper if you'll, tell, if you'll write what I tell you. I mean, the truth. I know if you're going to flower it over, I don't need it. But I'm going to have a special night at my church to talk about being an ex-drug addict. And I'm going to invite the whole community to come if they need help. And John's mother brought him. He's about 17. His whole family was dysfunctional. I mean, it was pathetic. I felt for him. Wow. He had two other brothers. His mother was a sweet lady, but no husband. And um, he came, got saved on that Sunday night. And then I, he got saved and I became, you know, his pastor for a season. And I just had a small congregation. I could devote more time to him. So, and I'll tell you something else that happened in that same night. I had one service at my church, six o'clock to seven on a Sunday night or something like that. And a lady came in. She was 60 some years old and she came to me after the service. I cast the devil out of her. And she said, I've been into witchcraft since I was 20. Wow. I said, well, you got delivered tonight. <laughs> she said, I sure did. I said, well, good. That's why I had this service. See, you never know that people are suffering sometimes. That's why you got to be careful what you listen to, what people say is the end thing to watch, or you get snagged, snagged by some of that. Anyway, so, so then John, I, I left the church eventually, and he didn't stay fully with us all the time we were there. And his mother called me like 10 years later, or for more than that maybe, and she said, is this Pastor Jacobs? I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I'm John so-and-so's mother. I said, well, hi, how you been? She said, well, I'm not doing too good. John's in the the mental, the mental hospital in Louisville and I would ask you to go see him if you could. I said, yes, ma'am, I'll go. And, you know, and, and I called over there and made arrangements to go and they took my ID and then they put me in with, every, it was a special time outside where you could sit in the, on a picnic table or something. But when the bell rings, you got to take him to where he belongs or we're come looking for you. I said, I got it. Where's he at? Where, he'll, you take him up to the second floor. There's three floors in that building. Take him up to the second, knock on the door, or orderly will come and unlock it and bring him in. Then you got to turn around and come back to us and get out. Okay. Well, I went and saw John, but he was so mental at that point, he was cussing me out. I said, hey, how you doing, John? He's just a stream of expletives that were unacceptable. And I said, John, John, John. He didn't even recognize me or something. So the bell rang. So I said, we're got, come on, i got to take you upstairs. And he, he didn't resist me too much, but he acted like he wasn't going to go. I said, no, you're going to go because... I'm responsible to take you up where you need to go or we're both in trouble, especially me. I'm not even in here, but I came to see you. And the Lord rebuked me when I got up the stairs on the second floor 
He said, cast that thing out of him right now. So I leapt on him. I just whoom, grabbed his body. He said, come out of him. Yeah. And I was in a staircase with steel and concrete. And he went, come out of him, come out of him, come out of him. Come out. <laughs> I don't know how many people got delivered that day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Remember the devil that came out of that lady? He only came out because I commanded him to come out. I didn't say, would you please quit harassing this lady? He would have probably spit on me or something, you know. And I said, you come out in Jesus' name. I screamed, come out, because that's a lot of the way Jesus did it. Anyway, praise God. Yeah, just thinking of some different things here. Tawana, I don't know if you know her or not. She used to go to our church years ago. There's just so much to say in there. And you think, man, he's got a lot of notes. I know I do. Yeah. My wife said this to me. I thought this might help you a little bit. Um, and, and go to Mark chapter 1, too, and then I'm, I'm going to stop. Mark chapter 1, and I'll read something from that in just a second. But my wife said, honey, you know when you minister deliverance, you get aggressive. Did you ever notice that? I said, yeah, I noticed. Well, why do you do that? I said, because the devil gets, uh, he gets uh, pushing me when I started down that trail because he knows he's, he's behind the curtain and I'm going to rip the curtain off the wall and show everybody this is the punk that you're listening yeah. to. Oh, yeah. And he kind of starts pushing. Now, he doesn't do it physically, but he's pushing me spiritually. And I just push right into him and just take the service over. And so that's why I do that. I'm not trying to promote anything. Why do I have anything to promote? I'm just telling you, you can be free if you want to be free. But she said, well, you get so aggressive sometimes. Have you ever seen me beat anybody up? No. Well, what's your problem? <laughs> Do you ever hear me, hear me cut somebody out? No. Nope. Well, what's your problem? Yeah. Oh, I guess I don't have one. That's right, you don't. <laughs> and uh, I was kind of teasing her and she was teasing me. But she loved for me to talk on this subject because she knew how it was needed in the body of Christ. And Mark chapter 1 here, verse uh, 21 through 27, and I'll just end with this. And they went to Capernaum. Mark 1, 21, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue, or a place of worship, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold your peace and come out of him. And that's something else I don't ever let the devil talk. You need to learn that too, because remember, they're all liars. Yeah. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they were questioning among themselves. What thing is this? This new doctrine is this. For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So I got one more story to tell you that I think is kind of interesting. It's only, it's, this guy also barked at me, but... I was in Mexico. You know, the bark, people understand bark all around the world. But it's the devil doing that. So I'm getting ready. I've been preaching and I'm walking up and I'm calling for things that people need help for their body or their mind or whatever. And you don't need to tell me anything coming up here. The only thing I would say to you is for better reception from me, you're going to have to have some faith. And that's why I took the time to teach some of this so you'd have faith in what I'm saying. And I'll have faith to release what I have, which is the anointing for deliverance and healing. And I don't have to know any particulars about that. And then you be, when you, I get to you at least, try to be quiet and just focus on being a good receiver. 
You know, you can't gargle peanut butter and try to talk at the same time. You're going to strangle. The only reason I'm using that, you can see the correlation. You can't take in and put out at the same time. It won't work. And, you know, Romans 1 talks about we should have a faith. You have faith to release what you have, and people have faith to receive it. That's all you need to do is just say, you know, you don't even have to say that. Just get in a receiving mode. So anyway, I was, I was preaching along, and all of a sudden this guy comes down the middle aisle. He's about 15 feet away, 20 feet maybe. He starts howling and barking like a dog. I mean, he really, I mean, if I was afraid, it would have made me have something on my arm, but it didn't. I screamed at him, shut up, come out. He took one more step, and he just froze like that. And he's about 13 feet away from me at that point. There's four ushers went to get him, but they, it, it was too late. I already shut him down. I, didn't, I, didn't, I just told him to shut up and come out, the devil. So he stopped talking to me. God froze him like he was in a trance. <laughs> and all of a sudden, and I walked back to him. I wanted to be there when he came back. I walked back to him, and he, he's got all this drool coming out of him. But it looks like Alka-Seltzer. Like if you put an Alka-Seltzer tab in a thing of water, it all bubbles up. That's what it looked like around his feet. So quite a bit of liquid came out of his mouth. It drooled down the side of his face like this. He's stuck. And then he came to himself, and I was right in front of him. I said, he said, where am I at? I said, you're at church, and you need Jesus. Give me your hand. Yeah. And he put his, little hand, his hand in my, in my hand like a little kid would. He's yeah. 35 years old, I found out later. Huh. So I prayed, laid him in a prayer, and the next, it was a Saturday night, and Sunday morning we had a service, and over here was him and a younger girl, maybe I'd say 18 to 20, and then an older couple that I thought maybe was his parents. And they all four came up when I gave the invitation. Yeah. And the lady, the mother, she said, uh, "Can I? Are you the Are you the man that cast that thing out of my son?" I said, "Yes, ma'am, I did." She said, "Can I tell you a story?" And just by, I felt like I needed to hear her out. I said, "Yes, ma'am, go ahead." And he can interpret for for you, and I'll understand it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm his mother, and he became so uh, violent and getting these fits of anger and stuff. And we thought he would kill us in our sleep. Yeah, he was just so unpredictable and so weird. And we had to put him out of our house. We had a daughter, that younger girl was his sister, mm-hmm. and said we were concerned for her and we were concerned for ourselves. We had all our locks changed. We had something built behind the door where some kind of a two-by-six goes there and mm-hmm. so you can't break it in easy. And he came home last night to our home and he started knocking. Mom, Dad, please let me in. And they said, she said, me and my husband here, we were on this side of the door and we were talking. Well, he's lied to us so many times. You think we could trust him? And they talked to each other, and it said 45 minutes later, he was, Mom, Dad, please let me in. I tell you, I'm changed. Something's happened to me. And they finally agreed they'd open the door, and he came in. He came in. He stood crying. He went to the couch. He fell over on the couch crying. When he could compose himself, he said, I don't, said, I don't know how I got there. I went to a church meeting last night. I didn't plan to do that. And when I came to, there was this American preacher standing in front of me, and he asked me if I'd like to know Jesus. And I gave him my hand prayed with him. I'm born again. And and the mother said, you know, we're Catholics, but we would like to pray with you because of what has happened to our son. We just couldn't believe the trend. So we stayed up all night rejoicing and crying with him for what God was doing in his life. That's one of the most powerful testimonies that I have to share with you. Hallelujah. All right. Now, are you with me? So I want you to, if you have an issue, a need physically or mentally or a habit that you'd like to be broken, if the devil's encouraging you to do something or just whatever it may be, you don't need to tell me about it. You just come expecting to believe that God's going to deal with you. 
Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at the quarry, check us out on social media. Thank you.